Hey there. Welcome back to this week's episode of The Emily Show. Today, we have a couple things to talk about. First of all, the Supreme Court is kind of schooling the NC2A. <laughs> it's a dad joke. A quick follow-up on the Colin versus Cuthbert controversy and a very quick update of what's going on with Erica Girardi. We will also sometime this week be dropping a special episode updating anything that happens in the Britney Spears conservatorship that's going to be heard in court on Wednesday, June 23rd. Britney's going to be testifying to the court. We don't know about what her attorney said last court date two months ago that she wanted to talk to the court. But of course, this episode will air before that happens. So after that happens, there will probably be a bonus episode. So we should we should get to a quote. And then we should get into it because we we came with a Dave Matthews quote today. Why? Because we're talking about the NC2A. I was a college athlete. Nothing makes me think of college more than both the NC2A and the Dave Matthews band. So that's why. <laughs> and if nothing can be done, we'll make the best of what's around. We'll make the best of what's around. We're going to make the best of what's around today, breaking this stuff down. Let's just let's just get into it. We're going to, we're going to do that right now. Hey there. Welcome to the Emily show. I'm your host, Emily D Baker, badass lawyer and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you want to talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years. I'm a former prosecutor and I'm a big fan of the cursey words. So let's break it down. Well, well, <laughs> normally I cover some of the reviews or comments we've gotten on the YouTube channel, but today I wanted to give a shout out to some of our listeners because the podcast does chart worldwide, which every week blows me away. I shouldn't say every week when I remember to check. True story. It blows me away. So to all of the Emily Show friends in Russia, we are currently number 14 in the news commentary category there. Uh, in Canada, oh, Canada, hello. Hopefully you are doing well. We are number 45 in news commentary in Canada. So hello, Canada. Good to see you. We had Canadian candy bars here um, that were sent by friend of mine, friend of the channel, friend of the show, and moderator, Michael. And one of them was a particularly like sponge toffee bar with chocolate over it, crunchy. And my kid went bananas for these bars. So we have been finding them around because, you know, a lot of the Canadian Cadbury stuff crosses over with the UK stuff, which some of you can get in the middle Tennessee area, which is fantastic. But when I thought of, when I, when I saw that we were ranking in Canada, I was like, hmm, crunchy. <laughs> Literally my thoughts. And the Czech Republic. Hi, we're number 20 in news commentary. Good to see you. We're also charting really well in Zimbabwe and South Korea. So thank you everybody from around the world. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you. And I will keep pulling um, the 
podcast reviews from Apple Podcasts from around the world, because I know that in your country, you only see the reviews that were left in your country, but I can see them from all over. So if you do leave international reviews, I try to pull them and share them on the show, just like sometimes my favorite comments from the YouTube channel. So let's just get into our first our first kind of follow-up today with Cuthbert versus Colin. Cuthbert versus Colin. The Caterpillar Cakes. This is probably one of my favorite cases that we've covered and broken down. Like, truly one of my favorite cases. Because it's funny, and it's cake, and the internet shade on Twitter from Aldi was hilarious. Now, I have to tell you, uh, this is going to be this kind of an episode. We're going to have tangents. Just buckle in. There will be stories. I had never been to an Aldi. Ever like ever. I had never been to an Aldi. I didn't, there weren't any around where I was in Southern California. We moved to Tennessee. We found a Publix that we loved. I had just never been to Aldi. Finding a new grocery store is a lot of work. And then you have to like find where everything is. And then going to the grocery store is like a whole nother job in and of itself. It feels like, and you have to relocate everything and then find new brands of things. And it just felt like work. So a new Aldi opened up near ish to where we live. And we were a little tight on time. And I was like, hey, let's just go to Aldi. We just need a few things. Um, I was so distracted that every single thing in the Aldi was like a knockoff of other things. I couldn't even, I was like, isn't this all trade dress? Like this looks like a Doritos bag and the lettering's the same, but they're not Doritos. Like I was so shocked. I'm like, is this just what we do then? Is that what happens at Aldi? Apparently, yes. Aldi has some like Trader Joe's. I mean, you got the Joe O's. But the thing with Joe O's at Trader Joe's is they don't look like packaging for Oreos. Aldi, the packaging looks exactly like the other packaging, but with different words. I'm going to put some pictures I took of that shopping trip up in my story. For all of you who have never been into an Aldi, you can see what I'm talking about. Because I was like, wait a second. The packaging is exactly like what it's trying to dupe in the trade dress. And, and, and by that, it's like the look and feel of a thing. And the look and feel of a thing can flow along with a trademark. And so I was like, oh, I have new understanding. <laughs> I've learned to follow my curiosity with things. And when I was curious to go to Aldi, it made sense because this whole Colin the Caterpillar and Cuthbert the Caterpillar thing makes a lot more sense because one of the things that is trademarked with the Caterpillar cakes from m and in uh, the UK is the packaging. And the packaging is a valid thing to trademark. And you can't rip it off so that it could cause consumer confusion. Now, I can also understand that Aldi's going to be like, but you walked into an Aldi. Why did you think you were buying an M&S cake? Because what we do at Aldi is a dupe of the other stuff. And apparently that seems to be well-known. It was not well-known to me. I was very confused. I was like, oh, look, it's the brand, but not quite. So 
If that is what they do and that is well known to their consumers, then they don't run the risk of consumer confusion because the argument is, yeah, but you walk into an Aldi knowing that you're not buying an M&S call in the Caterpillar cake. You know that you're getting a Cuthbert Caterpillar cake. So there's no confusion because you're buying it at a place. It's like the Taylor Swift case. You know that you're buying Evermore the album and not tickets to a theme park and vice versa. You're not buying tickets to a theme park in Utah going, why isn't this the Taylor Swift album? I'm so confused. I have questions. I thought this was the Taylor Swift album and yet you're selling small dragon eggs. Confusion. Either way, it's interesting to me that the update we are getting from this suit, and again, this is a UK trademark suit. I do not have access to the records. I have not seen them shared or published anywhere, the actual language of this suit. I've been looking. If you see it, tag me on social media. Please email me. It's all linked down below. Send me that shit. I'm very curious. But there are a few updated news articles indicating that the Cuthbert cake is returning to shelves. So Aldi, Aldi's social media campaign has not ceased the lawsuit. And so they're just like, fuck it. This is my interpretation of how that went. We're just going to, we're just going to sell it. Maybe we're just going to use all the proceeds for legal fees. <laughs> so Aldi is fighting it out. I'm now tempted to go look for other Aldi lawsuits because I can't imagine there aren't any. There's got to be some other trademark type suits. So I'm going to be looking for those. That's about it with the Aldi. I'm going to be keeping up on the, the Caterpillar cakes. I'm going to try to get a Caterpillar cake. If I do, I'll let you know. We'll probably do a, a tasting of the Caterpillar cakes. Either way, I cannot I cannot wait to get my own Caterpillar cake. It will happen at some point. There's videos on YouTube you can like make your own and stuff. I'm fascinated. Anyway, we should move on to Erica Girardi. Because um, if we're going from cake, we're going from cake to like let them eat cake. And it feels like an appropriate transition. And then we'll get into the NCAA and college athletes. Because I feel like the story time on that one's going to be a bit longer. The Girardi case. I have covered a lot. A lot on the Emily show, like a, like a lot. And I'm still fascinated. And I did a live stream kind of reacting to the housewife and the hustler or the hustler and the housewife. I'm never going to get it right. I'm always going to transpose the name of the, mm, not a documentary, the journalistic news journalism piece, the investigative, it was like 2020. Is that investigative journalism? I guess that's what that is. Investigative journalistic piece on Hulu breaking down a lot of what we've already covered. The thing that I really enjoyed about The Housewife and The Hustler was bringing in the Rigomas family, who we've talked a lot about. They're the family that won the $12 million judgment against PG&E with the gas explosion in California, and then had to win, first of all, a horrible fireball of a gas main explosion horrible incident. Um, the, the young man in that case was, uh, burned. He's the one that was one of the primary victims in that explosion. His girlfriend passed away in that. Like, it's just a, a horrible circumstance to be at your home and have everything kind of explode. Right. And then they win a settlement, but it seems like maybe by the way, they said it in the documentary, Girardi settled the case, maybe without clearly clearing it with them, is the impression that it left me with. However, it's hard to know if t 
Tom Girardi was like, oh, I've settled your case. Here's what it is. Sign. Or if he's like, I've settled your case. These are the terms. How does it sound? Are you good with that? Let's sign it. It's hard to know exactly how that played out just based either on the way that they relayed the story or the way that it was edited down for television, because most people aren't sitting there going, wait a second. Did they, did the lawyer not have permission to settle? Did he not get approval to settle the case? Like was the offer not run by the clients? Did he settle it without their approval and just go here, sign, and you're going to get your money. That's my concern. But they talked about the process of having to then win their case, then realize their attorney wasn't paying them their settlement that they're entitled to, then having to sue their lawyer, winning a judgment against their lawyer, which they detailed the process of finding a lawyer willing to sue Tom Girardi in the first place. So getting another lawyer to sue Tom Girardi, suing him, winning a judgment against him, and then not getting the judgment paid on and having to go back to court to perfect liens against all of his property. Like the amount of effort this family has been through is staggering to me. And I appreciated uh, the focus on that within the hustler and the housewife breakdown of this case. I appreciated them playing the voicemails of their experience with Tom Girardi and sharing their experience as clients. What I could have done with that was some of the housewife shade. Like it, they had reporters, they had legal commentators, they had people who brought a lot of, of clarity and additional interest to this story. And then like Danielle stop, like, uh, why? Just why? The, it, uh, for me, those little bits didn't add anything to it. And I could have used more clients of Girardi that were willing to speak for this. Um, I know there are more clients of Tom Girardi, current and former, who I'm sure would love to speak out. The LA Times said in their latest um, piece about this that there were over 100 lawsuits. The state bar has finally spoken out and been like, Emily summary. Yeah, we sure fucked that up. Uh, sorry about that. I have more. I have more thoughts about the state bar. We'll do a deep dive into the state bar another day um, and, and what I think can be done there. But now we have legislatures, legislatures, legislators in California looking into the state bar since they are a government entity. They are overseen by the court there and saying, hey, what happened here? And how can we make sure this never happens again because the the current clients never should have gotten there because if this is what was going on, client funds were being misappropriated, then he should have been disbarred like a really long time ago because this has been spanning decades. He also is now in a full-blown conservatorship, a la Britney Spears, and Erica's lawyers fired her but then said, just kidding. So that all happened within the last week. And Ron Richards, who we talked about on this show, had the trustee sought to appoint him as the special litigator for the Girardi Keys law firm side of the bankruptcy. And Erica's attorneys had objected to that appointment by the court. The court overruled that objection and granted the trustee's motion to appoint him as special counsel. And he immediately is going after uh, Erica's landlord to depose the landlord or, or 
question the landlord. I mean, essentially under oath, it's a deposition, but to question the landlord about source of funds, how are you paying your rent, Erica? We'd sure like to know where that money's coming from because in the motion to the court that I broke down on YouTube, a link will be included. They indicated that there is reason to believe the law firm lent at least some millions to Erica or her businesses or both. So you know that they are going to be tracking that down. I've said since the beginning of this thing, she is going to get sued inside this bankruptcy and maybe her attorneys will cooperate, but I have questions. Also, there's something going on there because you don't see attorneys filing a motion to withdraw with the court and then withdrawing their motion to withdraw if there's nothing going on. Now, whether that is just the checks aren't clearing or the client's not listening and they had to like, you know, be the parent, be like, we're turning this car around. Like if you don't stop, I'm turning this car around. I think they actually had to turn the car around and that's why they filed the motion. (laughs) I think it was, if you do not listen to us, pure, pure Emily pondering. If you do not listen to us, we will have to withdraw as counsel. Or if you do not X, Y, Z, we will have to withdraw as counsel and then filed the paperwork. Seemed to work because days later, days later, they withdrew that paperwork. And Erica has her attorney's back, has Ron Richards on her ass trying to find out how she's paying for her apartment, which, you know, where is where are the funds coming from? It's a valid question. And we will see. I think we're going to see, well... We'll see if there's lawsuits filed. There are now special counsel appointed in both bankruptcy courts and the Tom's in a conservatorship and the law firm doesn't have much left to sell. They're trying to sell off the old furniture and stuff. There's not a lot of assets left in the law firm other than the active cases that they're having to bring other lawyers in to finish. So there's not going to be a lot of money left unless they can get it out of Erica. And all eyes are going to be on her, not only to see what she says in the course of the show, but to see what assets they can try to claw back uh, and get to the clients who were not paid by Tom Girardi. You know, their settlement funds. And it's not like attorneys don't get paid. Attorneys get paid. Attorneys will take their lawyer fees then their costs, then pay out the client. They pay themselves first. There's no reason to not pay the clients. I could harp on that forever. You know, it pisses me off. It should never happen. It's it's horrifying stuff. So yes, we're going to keep updating that case, but it was a quick update today because we'll see what else is happening. We'll see the lawsuits getting filed. Other compromises are happening with other debtors. The bankruptcy has been six months now and is moving along. But the house in Pasadena hasn't sold yet and just dropped in price like a million dollars or something. So I will also be keeping an eye on the Pasadena house to see what happens there. Let us proceed to talk about the NCAA. For the international crew, The NC2A is the association that governs college athletics, Division I athletics. It feels like something out of the plot of ballers is what's going on. But the Supreme Court has ruled in favor of student-athletes. Yay! I'm like, in my head, I'm hearing like the the kids all clapping. Yay! (laughs) That's that's the sound effect. You know what I'm talking. You know the one I'm talking about. Like the kids are happy. Woohoo! 
this has been going on for years. The thing that this doesn't address is the name, image, and likeness of athletes. I will talk about that towards the end of explaining WTF the Supreme Court did because the Supreme Court was like, look, in any other business, the shit that the NC2A is pulling would be illegal, which I kind of love. They just spelled it out. They're like, you can't, what you can't do is bar athletes in this way, in this anti-competitive way from earning any academic benefits. So educational benefits from buying student athletes uh, computers that they might need for school to giving them internships or fellowships or paid positions. So schools are now able to offer maybe better packages to student athletes, not just a scholarship for tuition, room and food, but also, and you get a new MacBook Pro and an iPhone every year, and you get this, and you get that. What it doesn't do is open it up to everything. You can't have, you know, the USC football sponsors, alumna, (laughs) boosters is the word she was looking for, boosters, buying kids like Lamborghinis. It's funny because Judge Gorsuch actually said under the current decree, the NC2A is free to forbid in-kind benefits unrelated to the student's actual education. Nothing stops it from enforcing a, quote, no Lamborghini rule. So what you can't have is super wealthy boosters or donors, you know, buying new cars and shit for athletes, but somebody's going to try it, right? And USC, I I pick on because they have gotten in trouble for this um, famously. But what if, I mean, particularly in Los Angeles, it's like, but they have to get to school and on-campus housing is too distracting. And it is Los Angeles. I mean, and if you want good parking, you kind of need a Tesla so that you can park in like the clean air or EV parking. And if you're in traffic, it kind of self-drives so that your brain is mentally rested to get to practice. Like I can see somebody trying it. I think the NC2A is going to have to draw out clearer rules. Now, the NC2A has a fuck ton of rules. I have to be totally honest here. I played Division I uh, sports in college until I got injured. If you haven't seen my TED Talk, I talk about it there. It'll be linked. But we had to sit through like the NC2A like rules, you know, assemblies to tell you all the things you couldn't do. And the amount of listening I actually did (laughs) was very low. Because let me tell you what wasn't happening at my school. Uh, People weren't exactly like throwing money at the women's water polo program. I'm like, oh, this is a talk that needs to be very specifically and narrowly tailored to the basketball team because no one is trying to even take us out for a free dinner at this point. <laughs> we were not, we were not the, uh, the prized NC2A athletes. It was the basketball team that had most of the focus and at different schools, that's going to vary. But I imagine like the gymnasts felt the same way. They're like, look, man, uh, no one, no one's offering us cars. Like that's not happening in our sport. Maybe it is. If it is, if you're a gymnast, DM me. I'm curious. But this is a lot of these rules felt more applicable to sports that are competing for large dollars. And clearly, college basketball and college football brings in tons of money. And it was part of what the Supremes talked about is look, 
these schools, these institutions are making literally fuck tons of money. Not what they said. This is paraphrasing the Supreme. Could you imagine? <laughs> so Judge Kavanaugh wrote a opinion as well. But could you imagine Judge Kavanaugh being like, well, the universities are making a fuck ton of money. So it's only fair that the athletes should get some of that, like get that bag. I can't imagine that happening, but it makes me giggle. What he did say was that there are serious questions. I enjoy that Judge Kavanaugh has questions. I have questions too. Um, there are serious questions about whether the NC2A's other restrictions on compensating athletes can stand. So a little bit of a signal like, hey, we're chipping away at this one part with regard to education, but there's room to chip away even more. And that's what I got from that opinion that I've broken down more on YouTube and that will be linked. But he said, you know, there's um, serious questions about whether the other restrictions can stand and traditions alone cannot justify the NC2A's decision to build, quote, a massive money-raising enterprise on the backs of student athletes who were not fairly compensated. So, I mean, it's basically the same thing as, look, they make a fuck ton of money. Athletes should get that bag. Hey, same, 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 a little more supreme. Went on to say nowhere else in America can businesses get away with agreeing not to pay their workers a fair market rate on the theory that their product is defined by not paying their workers a fair market rate. Because the NC2A argued that part of the joy of college sports is like the purity of it because nobody's paid. He went on to say the NC2A is not above the law. Uh, NPR pointed out that Judge Kavanaugh was also a college athlete on Yale's junior varsity basketball team. So I'm sure there were people trying to vie for them to, you know, have Porsches and Lamborghinis and what have you. I'm jesting. I can't imagine the attendance at a Yale junior varsity basketball game. Um, no shade to his honor, but <laughs> if you want to hear more about Yale and uh, Justice Kavanaugh, I have broken down all the drama going on with the um, the Yale Law School in other content because it's wild. What I was unaware of till I started looking at this ruling is that 19 states have actually passed laws in the past two years that um, strongly indicate their displeasure with the NC2A's rules and that will allow athletes to start making money from third-party endorsements. And members of Congress have debated at least six different bills aimed at reforming the NC2A. So it's coming. The era of the student-athlete influencer is on its way. And it's interesting because I don't think, things I should have looked at before I started recording but didn't, I don't think that cheerleaders count within the NC2A rules. Because when you look at something like Cheer on Netflix, that was also junior college. So maybe it's a terrible example. But at least at the junior college level, Navarro Cheer was competing in national championships, winning national championships. But you also saw um, the social media presence and the celebrity of these cheerleaders before the Netflix series aired. And that level of Social media influencer is something that I could absolutely see college athletes leaning into were they allowed, being sponsored by, you know, Physiotape or 
um, supplements or whatever it is that applies to their sport goggles <laughs> for the rare swimming influencer. But you could see there would be a lot of benefit to the types of brand deals that people like myself use to make a living. And student athletes could absolutely charge for posts on Instagram for um, product placement on a TikTok video or what have you. And I think that we'll see that coming in the future and for better or for worse, because it does take some of the focus away from your sport. If you're worried about getting your, you know, Dunkin' Donuts iced cold foam, cold brew, I've mixed coffees, but whatever, into your your latest TikTok, you know, when you've also got a game coming up because there is a mentality that goes along with that. But you also have to focus on school. So it's going to be up to the athletes to balance um, brand deals and balance their lives as student athletes. And I think we'll see a whole new level of like team manager that's like, I'm not just the team manager to get people on the bus and like drag them out of their girlfriend's dorm room to make sure they travel. But you're going to see like the social media part of team managers if this all starts to open up. And I can see why it would. Do you remember when EA Games used to have like NC2A football and it was actually the football players? Yeah. They had to stop doing that. You know why? Um, Because you can't use the name, image, and likeness of individuals without paying them to use their name, image, and likeness. But NC2A athletes are not professional athletes, so they can't be paid for their name, image, and likeness. So the NC2A was like, yo, EA Games, what you can't do is use all of these NC2A football players. But people want to play the the football games on the video games with the NC2A players. So they are bringing back college EA sports, college football in 2020, the end of 2021 or the fall of 2020. Yeah. Fall of 2021 with the institutions. So you can play as UCLA or USC or Notre Dame or, you know, I'm blanking on another school. Crap. UT 10, not Texas. Yeah, I'm trying. Go orange, I think. So you can start playing as the schools and you can use their stadiums because the schools have licensed the name and likeness. So the schools are going to be making yet more money, but the individual players will not have names on their jerseys and what have you unless these rules change. And this went back to what, I think 2013 when they originally removed the game due to issues using the name, image, and likeness from the NC2A. Because again, you can't just, you can't just do that. So I think we will see some very interesting developments with regards to how student athletes are going to turn into social media influencers and how universities with, I don't know, deeper booster pockets are going to start trying to entice students because where does the four educational purposes end? I mean, you need a quiet place to live. If you have to make your TikToks and be focused on the game, maybe a dorm's not the right place and somebody needs to pay your rent. I'm not suggesting that's okay. I'm just saying I can see the train of thought leaving the station. It's a lot easier when it's like, hey, if you come here, we'll also pay for you to go to grad school. I think that might have 
some more interest for certain sports than others. Certainly, hey, if you come play football here, we'll then pay for you to go to grad school might not hold much weight because the goal is not to graduate and then go to grad school if you are an NC2A Division I football player, I would imagine. But things like that, um, additional education, paid internships, things like that. So I don't know. I would love to know what you think about this. Do you enjoy watching March Madness more because you know the athletes aren't paid? I mean, I always watch it going, God, how are they doing this huge tournament and studying for finals? <laughs> are they? Are they bothered? Do finals get postponed if you're in the final four? Do, does Is it like, is it just cool? Is it like, what? It, we're cool? Does that vary by school? I don't know. I never really had big tournaments around finals. And I don't even, some of that is such a blur because I'm so old at this point um, that it just seems so long ago trying to balance sports and school. But it'll be interesting to see. And when a lot of these rules were conceived of by the NC2A, there wasn't social media. There wasn't the ability for athletes to kind of make money in these new and non-traditional ways. It was literally, hey, we've got richer boosters, and so they're going to buy you a car and buy you this, and the kind of gifting that USC, for one, got in trouble for. Now, is that okay? Where are these new lines going to be drawn? And the NC2A is definitely in the crosshairs of legislatures and Congress to have student-athletes paid. And will that change athletics? Will that change college football? Or will you see students staying in college sports longer um, and not bouncing after a year or two to go pro so they can actually start to make some money? And maybe it will actually enhance college athletics by allowing the athletes to get paid because there's nothing that guarantees that you will have a future in athletics beyond college. I mean, I don't know. You could get hurt and it happens. So there's no guarantees. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. I mean, in life or in sports. So it'll be interesting to see. I've said that a lot, but I am actually very curious to see where this goes. So we'll be following along a bit with the NC2A and maybe following along with some of the sports that you might not always think of and how this plays out. Like, how is this going to affect tennis? Is there, is there, what is the competition like there? I mean, there are archery scholarships. How are the archers, <laughs> how are the archers going to be compensated? And how does this interplay now with some of the Olympic sports and the fact that Olympics don't always pull from professional athletes and can't in some cases. Because once you go pro, depending on the sport, you cannot be in the Olympics. So what's going to happen next? What comes next? What comes next for college athletics and for the rise of the student-athlete influencer? Let me know your thoughts. I can't wait to hear them. If you want to keep on top of stuff like this as it happens and my thoughts on it, go ahead and just join the text crew. The link's down below or text emily.com. It's easier from your mobile phone. It'll sign you right up if you're in North America. And then I can text you the updates. If you are not in North America, I am working on it. But you can always subscribe on YouTube, watchemily.com, hit the bell, set your notifications to all, and then you'll actually see when I am live. So that's it for this week. I know it's a little bit of a quicker one for me, but I wanted to hit some of the cases that have been rolling along without it taking two hours, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. And since we're still in a, you know, 
pandemic-y thing. The reason people on social media are calling it like a a Polaroid or a panorama ding-dong or whatever is to avoid getting throttled in reach by the algorithms, not wanting you to be talking about the the P word. But then when you say the P word, it sounds like you're talking about like the the P-O-R-N. So it's very confusing. Either way, we're still in the thing. I asked last week, if we should just keep the outro. And a lot of you said yes. So I think I might just stop explaining that we're still in a pan thingy and just keep doing the outro. I think it's our thing now. It's, it's, it's our thing. So raise whatever you're drinking, unless you're driving and then, you know, both hands on the wheel, don't raise up the coffee. Well, I always drink coffee while I'm driving. I mean, maybe just the one hand. <laughs> if you're at the gym, you know, get the water bottle up. It, if you're in the bathroom, I don't want to know about it. Don't Please don't tell me that that's where you're listening to the podcast. <laughs> Thanks for that. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your family be well. And may the odds be ever in your favor. I will talk to you in the next one. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a law nerd. And I hope that you are well. Talk to you soon. Bye. Hey there, law nerd. Thanks for being with me another week. I know that you love the podcast, but did you know that I have a lot of content over on the YouTube? And when I say a lot, I mean a lot of content, long form content short form content, sometimes even YouTube shorts, come on over to YouTube and check it out. I live stream with the Law Nerds every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Central and Fridays for Friday Night Live at 7 p.m. Central. You can find it down in the show notes or at the Emily D. Baker. Just put it in the search bar of YouTube and it'll pull me right up. Go ahead and hit that subscribe. We're getting very close to purple hair. Can't wait to see you over on the YouTubes and go ahead and leave a comment that you're coming over from the podcast. See you soon.